I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. Over the past few weeks, the world has watched in horror at the atrocities of the war raging in Ukraine as a result of Russia's aggression, entering into a sovereign nation, attacking, desiring to take over land that is not theirs. And as we've watched, there has been this ongoing conversation of not only what is happening, but why is it happening? And how does this affect us, especially as people of faith, And how can we understand perhaps the greater context of all of this? Now, I think every single one of us, regardless of what news outlets we choose to frequent or what we're reading across social media, the think pieces that we're taking in, the other podcasts that we're listening to, I think every single one of us, as we've watched all of this unfold, and now, of course, conversations and and evidence emerging of potential war crimes that have been committed and, and the atrocities committed against civilians, perhaps who were trying to escape and and, and get out in humanitarian corridors. As we've watched all of this play out, as we've had discussions about what this all means, as we've seen how it's affecting the rest of the world, we at Ave Explorers and Ave Spotlight thought that it might be fruitful to have a conversation with somebody who understands perhaps some of the background, but also understands the beauty of Ukraine itself and can help us understand the beauty of the Ukrainian Catholic Church and perhaps even some of the spiritual components of this conflict. It's one thing to watch the news. It's another thing to have a conversation with somebody, or you perhaps listen to the conversation that we have with somebody, to try to understand the greater context. And so we sat down with someone that I think neither Chanel or I ever expected to get to have a conversation with, but are certainly grateful that we had the chance to. Father Mark Morozovich the dean of the theology school at the Catholic University of America, reached out and offered his his expertise, offered us the chance to sit down and pick his brain a bit to try to understand both his background, he is from a 100% Ukrainian family, to understand the theological components of this, to learn a bit about the history of the church in Ukraine, some of the saints whose lives are a profound testament to the resiliency and the faith of the Ukrainian people, and to give us uh, the opportunity to reflect on how we even from thousands and thousands of miles away, can not only help, but pray. This is a crossover conversation. Chanel Shaw, the host of Ave Spotlight, and myself were able to sit down with him for about an hour a little while ago. The other fun part of this, and I know that's a weird thing to say about a conversation about a war, but Father Mark is an expert in Holy Thursday. That is literally what he wrote his doctoral work on. And so it was interesting to get to chat with him about this conflict, but also to be able to share this episode during our celebrations of Holy Week in a most especially unique way that God brought together the timing of this conversation that we could give you this episode as we enter into an intentional time of praying and an intentional time of fasting and an intentional time of, of contemplating the great sacrifice that Christ made as we unite ourselves with our brothers and sisters in the midst of this conflict who are suffering in a profound way as well. You can listen to this conversation, obviously, wherever you're listening to it on the Ave Explorers feed or the Ave Spotlight feed. We'd love it if you would subscribe to both podcasts and rate and review them. We love it when we get new listeners. We're very proud of all the things that we're creating. You can find a link to this as well up on AveMariaPress.com, or you could perhaps share it with your friends and with your family. We hope that this conversation is enlightening and fruitful, and so we hope you sit back and enjoy this conversation with Father Mark Morozovich about the Ukrainian conflict that we are all watching play out right now. 
Well, Father Mark, welcome to Ave Explorers Ave Spotlight. We're so excited to have you joining us. Thank you very much. It's an honor and privilege to be with you today. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You so oh, sorry, Chanel. Sorry. I it's I'm I'm in podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that again. You say no, hi. It's Chanel. all good. It's all good. This is different because we're both on. Yeah. So I was just saying thank you so much for being here. We're excited to have you. So, but go ahead. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about who you are, Father, and, and where you are and what you get to do. Well, thank you very much. Um, I am a Pittsburgh boy, born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in Western Pennsylvania. I like to call it God's country, <laughs> particularly fondness for, of course, Steelers Nation as well. But one of the unique things about Pittsburgh is that it's very much a ethnic melting pot where you have all people from all over the world with their traditions and sharing that and being alive and and just being, you know, who we are and, and whatnot. So my, my own family, both sides of my family, um, were Ukrainians. Uh, my grandparents came over from Ukraine over a hundred years ago and my parents both ended up marrying, you know, 100% Ukrainians. So I'm one of those few people that the <laughs> second generation born here is 100% Ukrainian. And, you know, from doing things from our Ukrainian churches to, to folk festivals, there was a citywide folk festival where everyone would come together in the old civic arena in those days. And they would have food and culture booths and then a beautiful program in the evening with dancing and choirs where people would just sit and just take in different cultural experiences. So it was in that milieu that I found my vocation that I decided I didn't want to make cogs, but I wanted to be with people. And I wanted to live the life of our, our Savior and and help to bring that love, that love that I experienced in my family, that love that I experienced in my church and the community, and bring that to others and serve that community and enrich it. So I went away to the seminary right after high school, went to St. Basil's Ukrainian Catholic Seminary in Stanford, Connecticut for my undergraduate degree in philosophy. And then on here to Catholic University, Washington, DC, where I studied at St. Joseph at seminary. And that's why I lived for my formation, but studied here at the university and got my degree here. I fell in love with theological studies, learning about God and all these mysteries, how we could talk about this beautiful gift that we've been given. And then I would tell my bishop, you know, I really want to go on to study. Now, my idea had been that I would study something regarding sister church's ecclesiology. So how mm -hmm. might we build the bridges between the Orthodox and the Catholic. So I, I took a few courses here when I was finishing up before ordination. I was ordained way back in 1991. <laughs> so it's been quite a long time already. And I've served for four years in parish life, two years in Pittsburgh as an assistant, and then two years in Butler, Pennsylvania, where I had my own parish of St. Michael right in Lindora. It was just a little, little, little city right next to Butler. And it was just a great parish and enjoyed that tremendously. And it was during that time that the bishop had asked all the priests if anyone wanted to go to Rome to study liturgy at the Oriental Institute. And I wrote back immediately and said, yes. So I raised my hand. Now, I'm not sure any other priests wanted to go <laughs> to Europe to study and learn in, in Italian because all the classes were in Italian. I truly enjoyed that, and, and I dove right into my classes, you know, immersed myself, went, 
early to learn Italian and, you know, a, a gift which I still use to this day. And, you know, it's always fun to speak to professors visiting and, and, and still practice that. So, so I was getting my license degree at the Pontifical Oriental Institute. And that's where I was working with some of the people that I'd read as a student here. Father Miguel Arans, but then also my own doctor, Father Robert Taft. So Father Taft is a Jesuit from Crankston, Rhode Island, that wrote the biggest, longest histories of the Byzantine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom and really was a, a great pivotal um, factor. And I'll never forget when I was starting there and and at Thanksgiving time, I mean, you know, he was always a magisterial figure, you know, speaking in the front of class. And then at Thanksgiving time, he he took to me and said, Mark, why haven't you invited me for Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> well, you never really made it clear <laughs> that you wanted to come. But that began a wonderful friendship and, and just it evolved over the years and, and with other friends from Ukraine that were there and and so it was really interesting at the beginning of my time, it was hard to switch between English, Italian that I barely knew, and then Ukrainian. So mm -hmm. I would have this like mixture of languages that were sort of all running in my head. And then while I was there, then the bishop asked me, he said, look, you know, you're doing real good in classes. Why don't you stand and get your doctorate? So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I, I wrote on the history of Holy Thursday is celebrated in Jerusalem and Constantinople from the 4th to the 14th centuries. So really establishing what our tradition is for Holy Thursday celebrations. Mm -hmm. And that was just so much fun. And, you know, it was just such an interesting time. And, and through all this, I, you know, wasn't sure whether my life would end up in academia or in parish life. And then when I came back to the United States in 2002, my bishop in November had attended a bishop's meeting here in Washington, D.C., met the then dean, Monsignor Stephen Happel of Blessed Memory. And he said, look, I'm hiring a liturgist. And my bishop said, I've got one ready for you. <laughs> so I put my name in and I was chosen to be one of the finalists to give a job interview. And, and then I got the job and started here in September of 2003 and have continued and, and, and have just, you know, continued to give of myself. And I love teaching and I love being with people. And then I, then I, kept coming up with these ideas. And I said, well, why don't you become the associate dean for seminary studies? And then, <laughs> so that was in 2006. And then in 2011, I put my hat in the ring to become the, the full-time dean. And mm -hmm. so that's sort of how I got here. And it's really, I like to say I'm an accidental academic in some ways. And, and that really it was by God's grace and his guidance that I was brought to, to Catholic University. Yeah. CUA is such a, um, it's a shining light in the country. My sister's actually working on her doctorate in canon law at CUA, and there was nowhere else, obviously, that she could go do that because it is, <laughs> it's the beacon of that education. I'm struck by the part of your story, Father, that it was the Ukrainian Catholic Church that you did your formation in. And that phrase, you know, I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic, I've never thought of anything other than really the Roman Catholic Church. Describe to us what it means to say you are formed in the tradition of the Ukrainian Catholic Church, because we're in the same tent, 
but there is a distinct difference. Can you explain that to us and to our listeners? Absolutely. I think that's such an important thing for so many people to understand that the Catholic Church is really a big church. Um, you know, and, and when we talk about it, there are 22 Eastern Catholic churches that are members of the Roman Catholic Church. So when we look at liturgical life and we look at, you know, church identity, of course, we know, you know, the center of Rome where, where Peter and Paul were killed. Um, you know, we also know that Jerusalem at least I hope we know that that's where it all started, where our <laughs> Lord and Savior walked this earth and, you know, and where he was crucified and rose again, you know. And then just around that area, Antioch was another big central stronghold where, you know, where apostles were living and then going out to preach. And the other place that became real big and central for development of ritual practices was Alexandria. So, you know, what is now Egypt today, but Alexandria was a very influential center for, for church life. And I'm talking, you know, right away in the first, you know, in the year 100, 200, when the church is nascent and developing. And so these are the centers that are coalescing the Christian tradition. By the fourth century in the 300s, right, we have the freedom given and the Edict of Milan in 313. And then we have this church that's burgeoning. And, and Constantine is, you know, building his new capital in Constantinople that he puts his own name on. And, and so that tradition then develops. And it's, and it's taking its inspiration from the Antiochian sphere of influence. So you have all of these different places that were influencing the life of our reality, that we're influencing the life of our people, that is giving this flesh and blood to this experience of who Jesus Christ is. Mm -hmm. So from Alexandria, we give birth to the Ethiopian church. We have the Coptic church that we know of. You know, in, in, in Constantinople, it's pretty much the one Byzantine church that then goes out and people like Cyril and Methodius, you know, these wonderful saints that are, are bringing this faith and love of Christ to people and, you know, putting it in their own language with the, the glagolithic and, and getting the Cyrillic to which the alphabet carries his name today. So we're going out and, and we're spreading it. So people in Bulgaria and Romania and Russia and Ukraine and and all of these places are all living this reality of this Byzantine liturgy. So it's at once, you know, a unique liturgy. And if you would just think about the development of all of this, like even the time of St. Basil the Great, you know, in the latter part of the fourth century, prayers weren't written down yet. They're starting to be written down. And he's telling everybody, pray according to the way that you can. You know, even the Eucharistic prayers, and this is this great period of synthesis. So by the time you have the Christianization of Kiev and Rus in the year 988, you know, we already have more and more manuscripts, more of this experience is codified. So they, they take this liturgy, 
where you know the the emissaries of Prince Volodymyr went to the different places and they said, when we went to Constantinople, we did not know whether we were on heaven or on earth. Mm. And so they came back and brought this and and lived it. And so we all know that in the year 1054, the great schism occurs. And so then so then what was originally won up to this point then bifurcates off. And and so there were attempts throughout the years to bring back union with the Council of Florence and but finally, what happened in the case of Ukraine in 1596, the bishops of the Kievan Metropolia of Ukraine then went and signed a union with Rome mm. and came back with our diocese and all the people. So this is when we have the theological, liturgical, canonical tradition that then realizes again its unity with Rome. Now remember, in 1453, Constantinople falls. So the patriarch eventually, you know, has moved out of there for a while into, into the Peloponnese area. So you have these shifting cultural realities that are happening and in disruption. So with this unique, you know, union, the union of breast, we we come about with a whole development of a people that really then spreads to the West, even where modern day, you know, the strength of the Ukrainian Catholic churches in Western Ukraine in Lviv, it didn't come into union until 100 years later mm. in the year 1700. And so we have, you know, these great influences that are happening from the incursions of Russia in that time when it begins to take over Kiev, the freedom that's then given under the Polish-Lithuanian and then successively by the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And so we have this, this center where, where this church is living and growing and expressing itself according to its Byzantine tradition. Mm -hmm. It's a rich history, to be sure, and not one that I think many people know. I mean, for the past month, We've heard of Ukraine, the, the sad tragedies of what people in Ukraine are currently facing. But I'm sad to Why say, I mean, even even having studied theology at a, a pretty good university, I did not know much of that rich history. It was glossed over very quickly in a church history class. OK, yeah, then there's the big split. And let's just concentrate on what Rome was doing <laughs> from here on out. I mean, I, I distinctly remember a professor saying it that way. And and then visiting yeah. Greek Orthodox churches when we went to Greece on our study abroad semester and, and not even still really fully understanding all of it. And so I, I want to make sure that as people are hearing the Ukrainian Catholic Church is in full communion with Rome. I, as a Roman Catholic, can go to a Ukrainian Catholic Church and receive communion and, and vice versa. I, I know and excuse my ignorance when I ask this in the Byzantine rite, the priests can be married. Is that true in the Ukrainian rite as well? Right. Yes. Absolutely. How do you find, I mean, you're in a very unique position. How do you find that the two inform your ministry and your teaching and the way that you exist within this world as a priest? Because I imagine walking the streets of D.C., most people do not know you are a Ukrainian Catholic priest. And, and I mean, unless you're walking around and telling people, it's not it's not the first thing that they would necessarily know about you, but it certainly has informed everything that you do. How do those integrate within your life? Well, it, you know, it really is second nature for me in a sense when I think about, you know, that integration, when I think about 
you know, who I am, you know, was just was a part of my life that I lived, you know, when I went to school, I was Ukrainian Catholic and sort of just lived that reality. And honestly, I don't think that I ever really thought about it. <laughs> I mean, certainly, you know, as I came to study here, you know, wanted to learn more about my own Eastern heritage. And so I think what happens is all too often, you know, people don't have the opportunity to to study all the traditions of the church mm -hmm. and to really understand, you know, what is our church saying? What are we doing? How are we living? What is this relationship? When we look at church history, when we look at liturgy, I'm going to ask you a question. Now, every time you go to the Eucharistic liturgy, you sing the Holy, 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 the Sanctus. When do you think that came into the liturgy and where did it come from? I know the words are in the book of Revelation, but I couldn't tell you when they were inserted into the liturgy as we know it today. So it was a Syriac hymn that was popular and mm. became inserted into the Eucharistic prayers already in the third century. Mm -hmm. So we're talking early on. But the idea of the I'm trying to get us to look at is the idea of the interrelationships. Mm -hmm. Now, you know what I love? I love when someone tells me, Father, I love going to that Latin church. And when they say in Latin, Kyrie eleison and Christe eleison, <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not that's Latin. That's not Latin, that's Greek. <laughs> that's Greek. That's, that's a holdover for even when there were Greek popes. So, you know, so that what happened, I think, all too often is we end up with a Cold War mentality mm -hmm. that separates East and West, that separates our understanding of the depth of our traditions that have truncated. And, you know, one of the things that I always say about studying here is we try to, you know, as St. John Paul II reminded us, the church has two lungs. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really deeper than that. It certainly is you know, the Greek tradition. It certainly is the Latin tradition, but it's also the Syriac tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and these, these traditions, they all make up who we are and the richness that is the Catholic Church. And so that's one of my passions and one of the things that we do here at Catholic University is to help to bring that tradition alive and, and help people to see that, you know, that there is a way that, you know, people were talking about this differently in this century, in this place, and that place, and mm -hmm. and try to look at all of these things. Wow! Thank you so much for sharing. You are, I mean, if you're an accidental academic, um, I don't even know what I am <laughs> because um, <laughs> I'd like I to know, see the purposeful I was version. Like, yeah. I, mean, I went to college, and I when I was done with college, I was done. So I would have never volunteered to go to Rome and learn more. I actually used to live in Philadelphia and many times um, on Sunday, my roommates and I would go to, you know, the huge Ukrainian Catholic church. It was like five minutes from my house. So cool. And yes, it's amazing. Yep. Um, and it's so funny. I used to drive past it. Like Katie was saying earlier there, I went to a good Catholic university and I 
didn't know a lot about our Eastern brothers and sisters. And I would drive past it and I'd be like, wow, that's a really pretty church. Until one day someone was like, you know, we can go to mass there. Had no idea, (laughs) had no idea. So I went to mass there and I learned so much. Just your liturgy is so beautiful and about, you know, different Ukrainian saints and your catechism that y'all have. There's like so much richness to the faith, especially I just felt a true connection to some of your saints that I learned about, particularly St. Olga Mm. of Kiev and St. Josephat. Like what, I mean, what power players. So I would love to know for you, what are some of your favorite Ukrainian saints? Yeah, it's really, really an interesting group of saints and people who have walked this earth and have witnessed to Christ. A couple of the saints that aren't well known are Boris and Tlib, and they were they were sons of of Volodymyr that really lived the faith life in a way that was was vibrant and alive, and they they were people of peace, and I think that both of them, you know, exhibit a true sense of brotherhood, a true sense of community that we lack so many times in our world. And for me, you know, they, they strive, they, they're really, really, you know, wonderful um, examples of that beauty. But I want to share with you a story of our martyrs that were, that were recognized when Pope John Paul II came to visit Ukraine in 2001. You know, in 1945, the bishops of the Ukrainian Catholic Church in Ukraine were arrested. In 1946, the Russian Orthodox Church, together with the communist authorities, conducted a so-called synod, a sabor, and they gathered together people and they declared that the Ukrainian Catholic Church no longer existed. Mm. Thousands of priests and thousands of our faithful, our priests, our, our nuns, our laity, were sent off to Sabor, to Siberia. All of them were incarcerated, and, but the church existed in the underground. You can go and look at the church history pages on the Ukrainian Catholic University in Lviv and see some of this history there and learn about how they celebrated, you know, the liturgy in their cells, you know, these little chalices, you know, the idea of making wine even from raisins and, you know, how they, how they were able to keep the faith alive. And for me as a young seminarian, these martyrs, these people who were, you know, witnessing with our life, Theodore Vromcha and, you know, and others have all, you know, played such an important role. You know, I can remember in 1985 in Stanford, Connecticut, we walked down the streets with placards with these people's pictures and what they were witnessing for the faith. And it made me remember that, yeah, you know, some days I may have it hard, but really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I was able and, and, and gifted with the opportunity of, of working before the visit of Pope John Paul II to Ukraine, it was really just an amazing experience. I was working with the media to bring journalists from Ukraine to Rome so they could understand what they were you know, reporting on, but then helping to facilitate journalists to go to Ukraine mm. 
and I was working with Rai Television, got to know a lot of those people, and it was just really wonderful. And so Kiev was beautiful, and I mean, we've all heard about Babanyar, where, where all these Jewish people were massacred, and it was just horrendous. And so, you know, being there with the Pope when he was praying there, and, you know, praying in Kiev, but then I'll never forget my entire life, when we flew into Lviv, now, I wasn't on the papal plane, mind you, but my plane was one of the other ancillary journalist plane that Rye had, you know, chartered. And so we flew into Laville and we were there at the airport when the Pope comes. And then I was gifted with the opportunity of getting on the bus with the Vatican accredited media. You know, these are the people from Reuters and <laughs> AP and, you know, CBS, all the big names, New York Times, you name it, and internationally, ANSA and, and whatnot. And the whole way in from the airport to the center of the city was lined with people. At the airport, it was two or three, but then as you got to the city, there were 10 and 20 and 30 people deep that this place that its church had been outlawed was not only back to a life again. Mm -hmm. And some of these people saw the evils of the incarceration. And now the successor of Peter, the Pope, was here. And if you would have seen the tears coming down these journalists' faces as they realized what they were witnessing. Mm -hmm. I mean, just completely amazing. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about, you know, these, our modern saints, when we talk about this witness of people, St. Olga, Boris and Lieb, St. Joseph had, Theodore Romja, all of these wonderful people, Sister Josephata, they have such wonderful stories to tell about commitment to the truth, mm -hmm. about commitment to Christ. And this is what, you know, when I reflect today about what's going on in Ukraine, and I see that, you know, you have a people who didn't take up arms against Russia, right. who weren't going in the fight, and now they're being slaughtered. And it just breaks my heart mm -hmm. to see apartment building after apartment building to see convoys that are stopped with humanitarian aid that's not going to the people that they need. Mm -hmm. And it just is a horrendous thing. And, and I just keep praying to God and to these wonderful saints for inspiration on how in my own little way, in my corner of the world, I might help to witness and help them in some way mm -hmm. to bring and to pray to God to bring an end to this needless war. Mm -hmm. I'm always struck by how, you know, the news will give us a headline and tell us, you know, this is, this is what's happening or here's the military decisions that are being made or, you know, oh no, your gas prices are going to rise. But in the, in the greater context of things, it, Ukraine, the, the only thing I kept thinking of as you were telling us this story, Father, was it feels like Ukraine keeps getting picked on. It feels like people yeah. keep going after these people who just want to live their lives, to work hard, to raise their families, to provide bread to the world. Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of the world. And and yet they, there's this continued attack and persecution. And 
on both sides of the political aisle, this conversation of, okay, should this be happening? Obviously, it should not be happening. Why is this happening? And and I'm struck by the fact that at the center of this is a is a story of people of faith. The Ukrainian Catholic Church is clearly very present within Ukraine. I know Volodymyr Zelensky is Jewish, but has spoken to the Pope on a number of occasions and, and uh, is, is frequently uh, talking about the spiritual aid that they are aware of. I don't know if you still have family in Ukraine. I, I don't know your connection to people that are still in the country, but how do you feel that the Ukrainian people are? This almost seems like a silly question. So forgive me for even asking it, but how are they doing? Because the news is not telling us all of these stories anymore. They're just telling us the, the machinations of generals or how it's affecting the economy. But at the center of this are people who are continuing to experience persecution as they have for centuries, it seems. Yeah. yeah, I talk daily to people in Ukraine and I have, you know, many, many different friends from priests and lay people and nuns and some of my distant family that I connect with as well. And, you know, and really it's trauma. But, you know, in the midst of this trauma, there, there are great stories. There's a Marian pilgrimage place called Zadavarnitsya. And it's really just a, a lovely place. It's in Western Ukraine. And they even built a copy of, of the Holy Sepulchre, mm. you know, and, and, and they have all these beautiful churches. They took in over 400 people from Kharkiv, from these areas that, you know, they're not Catholic. They're not, certainly not Ukrainian Catholic. Most of them, if anything, they're Orthodox, but many of them have no, you know, experience. And so they're there and, and they're being trained in catechism. You know, they're given dignity. They're just building new moments in one of the convents. You know, they, one of the nuns was telling me, you know, this woman came from Kharkiv and, and was real concerned because she'd heard that, well, you won't speak to us in Russian. What am I going to do? I don't know Ukrainian. And, and she was just so happy to see that, you know, we were just people that were welcoming and, and inviting and, you know, and, and bring, you know, these people in. So it's really in some ways building links of cohesion that would not have been the same, you know, before mm -hmm. an example of numerous and i've heard this from numerous people as you know with her with her children were concerned i mean all the stress of going into bomb shelters and all of that you know the children are traumatized now over 50 percent of the children are outside of ukraine mm. which is good in many ways because you know you save the future but you know the trauma of all of that but Time and time again, as people were leaving in their cars and were at the border, you know, I've talked to many people that were waiting 24 hours, 30 hours, two days at the border just to get to the borderline. That didn't even count the time that took to, for them to get from eastern Ukraine to western Ukraine. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was talking to some of my friends that were in Kiev just to get to this pilgrimage places out of Anitra, which is nowhere near the border, it took them 36 hours for a trip that normally takes five hours. But as, you know, the closer that you went and people were alongside the road, you know, because you're just stopped. You're not going anywhere real fast. And people were bringing them food and they would say, how much do you want from them? They'd say, no, 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 no. It's our gift to you. You know, and I just kept thinking about, you know, when was I hungry and you fed me? Mm -hmm. When was I naked and you clothed me? 
When was I thirsty and you gave me drink? You know, and you see all of this happening. You see these things that are occurring. You've seen some, you know, witnesses from the subway stations of how music is being played. You know, there's some beautiful pictures of pre-celebrating liturgy, you know, in these places to help bring about that transformation. There are numerous cases even of young people doing poetry and creating something wonderful because that's the depth of the human dignity. Mm -hmm. To realize that in the midst of all of the pain and suffering, that it's Jesus Christ and his witness and his love that can help us transform, can help us see beyond the pain and hurt and to live in him mm -hmm. and to live in hope that we will get beyond this, that there will be a better day tomorrow. And that's what has just been so uplifting for me and inspiring. And, you know, and as I'm in the midst of my prayer and my fasting and my almsgiving and, you know, trying to help, trying to do something in my own meager way, you know, to see this great example. And, and when I think, well, I just can't do that, I think about, well, look at these people. They've gone above and beyond. Mm -hmm. You know, they're taking people into their homes. They're, they're doing all these things and rising to the occasion. Well, I can do something more. Mm -hmm. It's a, a beautiful snapshot of the, the resiliency of a people that has been tested in, in awful, awful ways and yet has inspired the world at the same time. I'm reminded of the theological concept of God never allows an evil from which a greater good cannot be drawn, which is some small comfort in words. But when you ponder that, especially in the Lenten season, as we approach the cross, I am mean, just immediately brought to Ukraine in my mind. I'm immediately brought yeah. to the stories that we're seeing on the news. My, my friend, Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, just got back from some humanitarian work in Poland and was sharing stories about the, the people that he was getting the chance to meet. And Father, I'm, I'd love if you would perhaps... As we approach Lent, this is going to air. We're not exactly sure when uh, in the grand scheme of things, but I think before we we get to the Triduum, so before your your big day, Holy Thursday. Um, for the record, while we were while we were interviewing, I texted my sister, who is a CUA doctoral candidate, and asked her, "Do you know this priest?" And she said, "Oh yes, he specializes in Holy Thursday." She knew that about you immediately. So your <laughs> your reputation precedes you. She also said you were one of the few priests on campus who smiles at strangers. So she is very, very happy that we were able to chat with you. High compliments for my introverted sister. But I, I would I was wondering if you could perhaps maybe give us some some prompts on what we can specifically be praying about and for in regards to this this awful situation, but in 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 light of the Ukrainian resilience in light of these stories of these martyrs and of these saints and in light of what's going on, if there's some sort of way that perhaps we can be taken deeper into prayer, if there's something you can inspire us with. So I'm going to, I'm going to share what I think are some general principles and something that, that I've been reflecting on in my life for the last several years is that when we go through life, our life is truly not our own. Our life is a gift from Christ, and he's unfolding our life and giving us experiences. So we understand free will when it suits us. We don't understand free will when someone does something bad against us. And that's sin. And whether it be verbal, whether it be, you know, something that you just 
don't get a good feeling from somebody or somebody is drunk and they wreck your car. I mean, that's sin. But God is always with us. And he is the eternal now. In the icon of Christ, they have the Omicron, the Omega, and the Nu in, in his halo. And this is Ho'on. And it's the eternal now of God. I am who am, if you will. So God is always in the eternal present. He's here. He's hearing our, our expressions of sorrow, our expressions of forgiveness, seeking out forgiveness. And so God is always with us in the now. And so we need to cultivate that deep sense of prayer so that we're always trying to figure out where God is guiding me in this situation. How can I be Christ to the other that's present? What is it that Christ is striving to create in this situation? And so I say that as a very basic reality because I truly believe, you know, that as Christ came into his apostles and said, peace be with you, he's coming into our lives daily and saying, peace be with you and guiding you. And so as we look at this situation, in a sense, with Ukraine today, he's inspiring us in our own ways to do something, to show something. I mean, you know, my personal hope is that the examples of outreach that the examples of, of care for one another will be a source of inspiration, hmm. a source of change for our world that we're not just thinking about ourselves, mm -hmm. but we're thinking of our brothers and sisters a little more. The idea that there was just a, a dissolution, even of a common direction for the West, if you will. I mean, that's been such a, a great witness you know, that we are here in the midst of all of our problems, all of the craziness, all of the stupidity that goes on. But showing a humanity, a humanity that pulls together. And so as we're witnessing and we're praying for all these things, we certainly have to pray that God's spirit continues to act, continues to share faith, hope, and love. The central aspects of the gifts of the Spirit that are the markers. I mean, when we think of saints, when we think of Edith Stein, St. Lawrence, I mean, throughout history, people have endured many horrible things, and they've always felt that sense of Christ's presence, his love, his hope that in hopeless situations, that wins out. Mm -hmm. And so that there's strength for those people who are living that, strength certainly for us, that our lives may truly be ones of daily conversion, that we're praying that God gives us even the words to pray. As St. Paul reminds us that it is the Spirit who prays within us, that we're reminded of who we are as the temples of the living God, that we're reminded that we are the icons of Christ made in his image and likeness, that we live according to our dignity, that we call the world, that we call everybody to live in that spirit of truth and love mm -hmm. that comes from Christ, that truly 
openness reigns and that all hearts who are darkened and closed may be filled with his light. The light of Christ who from the cross opens his arms in humility and welcomes doesn't push, doesn't punish, but forgives. Mm. And so it is that basic movement that I think that the more that we join our lives in prayer today, that we can bring about such great change in our world starts with ourselves, goes out to our communities and lives in our world. And I really believe that we're at a unique time of challenge and opportunity to really bring his light present in new ways. So I think that would be the prayer that I would engage in. It would be the prayer that I would ask all to gather together, just as Pope Francis consecrated the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I mean, if you read those prayers, they're gorgeous, calling all of us. And this is a moment, a moment of transformation. This is a moment, a moment of inspiration. This is a moment, a moment of grace abounding. And so let's strengthen one another, strengthen the witness, call our brothers and sisters to be alive in Christ. Wow. Amen. Yes. I mean, I'm about to put money in your offering plate. You really like brought me to, to church today. I'm like, man, I should go to the chapel or something. Thank you so much for sharing, Father Mark. I mean, I know that Katie and I wouldn't even be able to articulate how powerful this conversation is. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that everyone listening is just touched by what you've shared and is really inclined to, you know, increase our fraternity with each other and, you know, love for one another. I think that's a powerful thing that you've shared, a bunch of things that you've shared. I'm curious, I know as a priest, you probably love to pray. And I was wondering if you would be into closing out our episode today in a prayer. Absolutely. Let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O most loving God, as we meditate upon your cross, your death, and your resurrection, this selfless act of extreme humility brings about our new life. O Master, as you walked on this earth, as you accepted to become a human being, and all the vulnerabilities and all of the struggles that we face, you showed us very clearly your presence, your closeness to us, your desire that we all experience love following upon love. It is through your spirit that you have gifted us with that presence. That knowledge that in our rooms, when we pray, you are there. That understanding that when two or three are gathered in your name, you are there. That understanding that as we gather in prayer, in community, in liturgy, you are there. That when we gather 
and celebrate the sacraments, your grace abounds most fully. And we give you thanks, O Lord, for the special opportunity to worship you through gathering in the divine liturgy by celebrating the Eucharist, by breaking bread and wine, by partaking of your most pure body and precious blood. We realize who we truly are as members of the body of Christ, each of us strengthened by the other and brought to new life in you, nourished by your body and blood, transformed so that we might witness to you and our world that through our words and our deeds, your healing graces may flow. We ask you, Lord, to bless us all, especially to bless all of those in war-torn regions of our world, that there may be peace. And we hold up to you, the people of Ukraine, so that Russia's war may come to a quick and speedy end, and that they may find a way to rebuild their country, to rebuild their lives, to strengthen each other, and to witness that brotherly love, so that indeed you, O Lord, may reign supreme. We pray for the intercession of our Blessed Mother, that her mantle of protection may guide us all. And then especially for those in fear, for those torn apart by war, that her gentle caress may bring comfort and peace. We pray, O oh Lord, that you guide our church, that we may witness each of us in strength to your presence, that your process of healing and forgiveness may continue to involve all, and that one day we may give you Praise in heaven. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. And what I know is probably a very busy media schedule, because if you're not in demand, you should be. And I'm going to text <laughs> my friends at CNN and tell them this is the guy you need to get on your shows quickly to comment on all of this. So we're, we're so grateful for the time that you were able to spend with us. Are you on social media, Father? Is there anywhere that people can follow you, read your writings, learn a little bit more about your area of expertise? I do have social media accounts. I must confess, I don't keep them up as well. <laughs> but I really am engaged in, you know, sort of academic work and academic writing. And, and I do a little bit of things certainly involved in our Ukrainian Catholic parish here. Um, we do have a Facebook page and, you know, and occasionally I preach there, but I will try to update my social media. <laughs> we'll put a, or, we'll put a link to your Twitter. I found it. And uh, we'll put a yeah, link down I, to your Twitter. I have Twitter. I have Instagram. <laughs> I have Facebook, you know, and so I, I really haven't been as attentive to that side of things. Well, that's okay. We'll get you there eventually. Yeah. So, but thank thank you so very much for your time, Father. We're grateful. My pleasure to both of you. It's been a great joy. And please remember me in your prayers. Of course. 
thank you guys for listening and thank you so much to Father Mark for being our guest. We're so grateful for this conversation. We hope it was both enlightening and educational. We learned, I learned a lot about the Ukrainian church and saints and the richness of the Catholic faith in Ukraine. So we continue to pray for them and ask that God cover them. And we're so grateful for Father Mark and his witness. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys next week. Please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. God bless. Father Mark is, of course, a very passionate man. We were so grateful that he was able to take the time to visit with us. One of the things that he consistently said, both in our recording and then after the fact, after we we hit stop on our record, was that the resiliency of the Ukrainian people, while something that is incredibly inspiring to see, should not preclude us from offering intentional prayers and often offering intentional fasting as we watch this all happen from afar, as we perhaps even suffer in a very, very small way ourselves with the impacts that this is having to the global economy, that this is an opportunity to enter into the suffering of Christ with the Ukrainian people who are not abandoned in this moment, either by Christ or hopefully not abandoned by us either. We are so grateful that he was able to take the time. Father Mark is up on Twitter at mmorozovich, M-O-R-O-Z-O-W-I-C-H. We'll have the link down in the show notes. He joked that he didn't know his own social media handles, but we have the links down in the show notes. So you can follow him, can see some of the things that he is posting, see some of the things that he is writing and sharing about this. Again, we are so, so grateful that he took the time to visit with us. For those of you who are finding this podcast on the Ave Explorers feed, well, we're grateful that you're here. Check out our sister podcast, Ave Spotlight, a weekly podcast hosted by Chanel Shaw, who also helped conduct this interview today. It drops every Monday morning. It features incredible conversations with Catholics who are doing remarkable things, people that you might not have ever heard of and some people that you know. Every Monday for about 15, 20 minutes, you can enter into these conversations. You're going to love it. Go find it anywhere you get your podcasts. And of course, here on Ave Explorers, if you found the show on this feed, our next season on The Mass will be dropping in May. We've got some amazing conversations coming up. So we hope you take advantage of finding all of those. Go over to our website, AveMariaPress.com, and you'll find everything that you need there to learn about all the great things that we are creating just for you. We're so grateful that you joined us today. We hope that you have a fruitful Holy Week. We'll be back soon with a whole lot more. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.